Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of We Gotta Talk. If you're watching live on Facebook and YouTube, hello. Thank you for joining us. The comments, as always, are open. So, Feel free to drop in a question or comment as we chat today. I'm really excited about our guest. If you're listening to the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. This is the podcast where we dig deep, real talk, big topics. We like to span all sorts of areas of interest and information here. And today's guest, I think, will really impact a lot of the parents listening. We have author and advocate Dana Young Askew. She's the author of the book, Come Meet Drayden. We're going to talk about why this book is so unique and special and written in such a different way than other books in a couple of minutes. But let's welcome Dana onto the show. Dana, not only are, do you have a long list of professional accomplishments because you work aside from all of those jobs as well. But you also have five children total, which bless you is a lot of human lives to take care of. Run us through the ages of your kids. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Excited for this conversation. But our oldest will be 12 in December. And then we have eight-year-old boy-girl twins and seven-year-old boy-girl twins that are 11 months apart. So it's chaotic and crazy and organized and a mess, but I love it. It's loud and fun. Oh, it's really fun. Tell me though, what you first thought when you found out you were pregnant again, because the eight-year-olds, now eight-year-olds must have only been like four or five months old or what? Four, four yeah. months? Yeah. So I found out pretty late, um, but the first tw- set of twins was a complete shock, surprise. Um, I was fine with just having my oldest and my husband wanted to try for more. So I was like, okay, <laughs> compromise. Let's try for six months, see if anything happens. Bam, we have the twins complete shock. Um, but I was excited. Um, but the second year old twins, that mother intuition kicked in because something kept telling me, like, I couldn't get rid of my stuff. I always was promising friends, like, I'll go through stuff. I'll hand it off. I'll pass it off. And I just hung on to it. And so when it came, it was sort of like confirmation. So I wasn't as frantic and maybe because I had another set or I was still in shock. Um, <laughs> but I sort of like, I don't know, oddly, I felt it coming, even though that's weird to say. It's not weird at all. Yeah. No, I I have a very similar experience realizing I was pregnant with my third, which probably shouldn't have happened when it did and how it did. But I literally remember having a moment sitting on the couch and I was like, I feel like I'm pregnant. I'm going to go take a pregnancy test. And boom, it was, it's just a mother's intuition. All to say our intuitions are very spot on. So very, 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 very cool that you are upright and happy and smiling with that much. (laughs) Yes. Um, I have done, um, of course, a ton of reading and have seen your book, Come Meet Drayden, which was such a unique perspective on your journey as a as a mother of a child with autism, because it's written from the perspective of the siblings. Tell us mm-hmm. about Drayden, who's your son who was diagnosed as autistic, and what you're bringing into the world with this book that might be different from what's already out there. Yeah, so I want to preface this conversation that I'm only speaking from a parent's perspective, right? Like an actual autistic person's perspective is going to be totally different than mine. Um, So my perspective is coming in as like a parent caretaker. 
Um, but I, the goal when writing this book, so I work in corporate America and logistics. Um, during COVID, just like everyone else, I was sent home to work and had a lot of downtime. And with that time, I was really finding it challenging to just be home and down so much. So I started doing a lot of therapy and counseling. And um, my counselor said, hey, no one knows what's going to happen, right? So if it is the end, let's now that you have time, let's work on the things that you never had time before. So let's start checking stuff off your bucket list. And writing a book was one of them. Um, I started off at the idea of like a self-help, like a memoir type of ordeal. And I kept getting like a writer's block, like writing stuff, couldn't think of anything, scratching it out. Um, and then one day I was just jotting some notes. I got to a little section or chapter that was going to be about like my journey with finding out my son was autistic. And I asked the kids, you know, what would you want someone to know? Or do you remember this time? Um, and at that moment, they just had so many experiences and ideas. And it quickly changed from like a parenting book or my experience to their perspective. And as I sat with it, you know, I'm glad that I wasn't married to the outcome and that I was a able to enjoy the experience because this book wouldn't have been here. Um, but it was really good because it was an opportunity for me to hear their perspective. And I think a lot of times as parents, as caregivers, um, we think about what we're going through or what the child with the diagnosis is going through. But I think that rarely we consider there's other people involved, especially siblings. They pay a huge role um, and they do, they do take a lot of the responsibility having a sibling that has a disability or that is autistic. Um, and so that's really how it started off was I had a block and I asked them for feedback and I was like, wow, this is good. And it started off, like I said, self-published. Um, I was like, hey, I'm just doing this for us, right? Um, I was like, I wanted to tell our story, give my kids the space. And, you know, just showing them, like following through with a project, right? Starts at the beginning. It doesn't matter if one person buys it, 10 people buy it. Like we know if we've done this and it was a personal accomplishment. Um, and as I started to share my experience, you know, just on my social media, I had friends and family that were like, oh my gosh, my cousin's autistic, or I know this person, or I'm a teacher. And, you know, as social media does when it does right, it just spread. Um, right. And then so from there, I was able to um, go from just being on Amazon to there were so many requests that Barnes and Noble had reached out to me here in Virginia, and they started carrying it in stores because it was really selling. Parents were looking, you know, during 2020, 2021, I think parents were really uh, active about um, the information and the representation of books and making sure their children's bookshelves was diverse and colorful and inclusive. And so that also helped as well. But that's a little bit about how it started and why it's from that children's perspective. It is so unique. That's a diagnosis that I think people don't consider the ripple effects, like you said, beyond the child and beyond the parent. But what I like about teaching neurotypical children too, is that you will encounter people that are neurodiverse, who act differently than you, who behave differently, whose life experiences are different. And even to educate your, your child who's neuro neurotypical about, hey, this is you know the world and People see the world differently. And here is one example. I think it's just a really brilliant idea. It's it's one of those books you think, oh God, this should have been around a lot longer than, you know, than the one year that it has been here. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, there's a quote, and I can't remember who it's by, but it inspired me to write the book. It says, um, if there's a book you want to read and it's not written, write it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really for me because when my son first got his diagnosis, my oldest was around seven. 
Um, and that's at the age where I feel like books help educate them and teach them. And I only found like a handful of books that talked about autism, let alone books that had families where there was people of color um, and then siblings and really went into like a practical day-to-day -day type of book. And so I was like, this would have been useful for us. And that's why we wrote it, right? Like it was for us. And when we told our story, it just made so many other people seem seen and validated. Um, and it's been a beautiful experience, you know, not just parents, you know, teachers who have used it, whether they're teaching uh, general education, special education. Um, we've had colleges who have uh, took in the book and they're studying, you know, autism and they're looking at different factors. We've had actually autistic adults who have reached out and said, you know, I see myself in this book. I've had siblings that have grown up at a time where there wasn't a lot of conversation about disability. There wasn't that a lot of help. And they were telling me like, I wish this book was around when I was growing up because I felt so alone. Like none of my friends or no one that I knew had a sibling at home that was autistic and was going through these things. Yeah, tell us about Drayden. Yeah, so Drayden is extremely cute. He's entirely way too adorable, but he's as stubborn as a mule. He is stubborn. Um, Was he he's stubborn really as a baby. I always say they come out with their personality intact. Like no parenting book can change who your kid is. Like as soon as they see the light, do you, do you feel like you saw that early on with him personality? Yeah, because with him, it was hard to tell, like if it was a developmental delay, you know how you have like the check marks and milestones. And it was hard to be like, Jordan, can you not do this? Or do you not want to do this? Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's really intelligent. Um, he has taught me that you know, to be careful with your words. He's very literal. Um, so sarcasm and like open-ended sentences really don't make sense to him. And so it has taught me to be very like straightforward, very direct, let people know like what I'm asking for, what I need. Um, Give us an example of that, Dana, like anything recent or in the past that really sticks with you. Yeah. So um, typically with my oldest, right? Raising him, I would be like, you know, DeAndre, um, do you think you should go brush your teeth? And that would be like an inkling to him. Oh, shoot, I forgot to brush my teeth. Let me do that. Right. With Drayden, he'll just be like, no. And so it really <laughs> taught me like how I have to, right, how I have to phrase my sentences and words right. really have to be like very direct. Like I need you to do this. Or I can't be like, it would be lovely if you cleaned up your toys, right? And him, he's like, no, that wouldn't be lovely for me. Um, and even like potty training, right? Uh, with my oldest, I was like, like, you know, you'll be a Batman. You'll be a superhero if you pee in the potty. With Drayden, I'm like, you'll be a superhero. And he's like, mom, I, I, I don't care about being a superhero. Um, and so it was really um, has taught me to really be just direct and to also look at my facial expressions and my hand motions because he uses a lot of them for some things. He doesn't understand the context of what I'm saying. He can understand that if I'm happy or if I'm using a disappointed voice or how my face is structured. Um, so that has really taught me a lot. I would really say just how I communicate um, using full body language, uh, making sure my words are intentional to like what I'm asking for or what I need. Mm -hmm. And what was the diagnosis like? Walk us through those early years when you initially got the diagnosis and all of the sort of emotional journey that went along with that. Yeah. So when I first got his diagnosis, it was really, really tough. Um, 
and I allowed myself that grace um, because I sort of my I sort of knew it was coming, but just to have that label really, you know, seal the deal for me. Um, but I was also very, and I like to research, so I really spent a lot of time researching and trying to find outlets and people and connections. Um, but I just, I, I focused so much time on the beginning of thinking about like how he would be at 18 and 25. And through therapy and counseling, I really just understood and came to the understanding that I have to parent the child that I have in front of me. And so in the very beginning, I got some advice um, from a good girlfriend. And she was just like, allow yourself between, you know, noon and one every day to cry, to worry about mm -hmm. the future. Other than that, you have to keep going. And that noon and one came. And for like four or five months, I broke down every noon and one and just cried and cried. Um, but as that, you know, as you go, that noon and one hour gets shorter and shorter, um, you know, and I do have times that I still struggle, but I, I've learned so much to be present and to parent the child I have now to not look so much and to not assume into the future, but to be grateful for the progress that he's making for where we are now to enjoy the journey. Um, and so that's been a really beautiful lesson that I've been able to apply throughout my whole life. Yeah, parenting in the present is really difficult for many reasons. But, mm -hmm. you know, we have had brushes with things, too, in our family where it it, is, it completely took me out of that ability to parent currently because I was so worried about what next year would, and what, what whatever would look like. Um, I really feel like a lot of parents identify with that. What did yeah. what worked for you besides designating that sort of brief period of mourning, for lack of a better term? What else helped you to? Uh, see beyond the diagnosis? Helping other families. I think that throwing myself into volunteering with my local community um, really helped me. Being able to, you know, as I went through the journey, help a parent when they got their diagnosis, tell them the next step, let them know resources, let them know options, let them know I'm here, being a resource for them. And then in doing that, I was able to get people to help me. So it was sort of like this circle, right? It's like having this revolving door. And as people come in, everyone just continues to be a support. So as Drayden got older, now that he's seven, I'm sort of looking at, you know, preteen moms and, you know, looking at their experience and sort of leaning on them and asking, you know, how did you do this? And picking their brain. Um, mm. And then for me, now that Drayden's seven, getting moms that, you know, are just getting their diagnosis or going through toddler faces or just entering school and trying to figure out, you know, all their IEPs and documentation and placements. So for me, it has really been helpful to really participate in being in communities with families that are walking similar journeys. Yeah. Rayla says, letting others know they're not alone. She also says big sis checking in. So Rayla, <laughs> thank you. for <laughs> um, Yeah. Let's speak a little bit more to that. I know that, um, Autism is one word for a diagnosis, but we hear so frequently it described as a spectrum, which it is. Um, walk us through the developmental challenges and what was helpful to you in exceeding any expectations you may have had in any area of his development. Yeah. So when I understood that it was a spectrum, it really opened my eyes. I mm -hmm. tell people all the time, when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person. There's okay. so many different qualities with so many different variations. Um, 
Uh, you know, you may meet someone who has two similar qualities and then they don't have a third. Um, and that's what makes it a spectrum. So you can fall anywhere on that spectrum. That's really what helped me realize that I can't look at someone else's child that might be the same age with the same diagnosis and expecting maybe the therapies or what they're doing, um, how they're learning, how they're progressing to be the same for Drayden. And I think as parents, right, just in general, not even of a child with a disability, but just parenting in general. General, I think that um, sometimes it has to be a humbling experience and it gets a lot easier when we stop taking our kids accomplishments, failures, progressions, diagnosis as personal trophies or badges of like honor, right? Or our own failures sometimes. And so that really helped me just realizing like that it's a spectrum and it's going to be different for everyone. And it's not on me, right? Like if he does, if he progresses or learns a skill, that's not because I'm a great parent, if he regresses or doesn't get something, it's not because I'm a bad parent. It really taught me to take myself out of it. And I think when you make mm -hmm. parenting selfless, um, it becomes a lot easier in a way. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask about too, because I, I imagine it would be difficult to not equate some sort of great development mm -hmm. um, with um, some sort of great work on your part or his team's yeah. part. How did you break free and get into that truly selfless parenting? Because I think it would be difficult to sort of get out of the mindset where you're constantly monitoring and just waiting to check the next thing off the list. Like, how do you pull out of that? Yeah. So for me, it was, of course, therapy. I worked on a lot of therapy, but then actually working with actually autistic young adults. So right there between that, like, 16 to 24 age group and hearing from them, right, from their perspective of, you know, never wanting to tell their parents that they were struggling with something because their parents would feel like they're failing. Or it just became a similar narrative that their success or failures made their parents feel like they were doing enough or not enough. And I just learned that that correlation just couldn't be for it to be healthy, you know, for Drayden or for myself or anyone that's on his team. I know how hard his whole team works. I know um, how hard Drayden works. I know how hard his dad and I work to help him. And so to measure what he's doing or not doing or where he's at or where we hope or expect him to be based off of um, what he's displaying, really, I didn't feel like it was a fair uh, scale because I know everyone's doing their best and I know what's going to happen is going to happen and what's his story is going to be a part of his story. Um, yeah. So like I always say, you just can't be married to the end result. You have to find love in the process. All that being said, tell us about some wins that you're proud of or some things you've seen him do or accomplish that have made you feel a sense of, of, of hope or relief or happiness. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that has made me um, happy or seeing, seeing him happy, um, him finding his own personal things that he enjoys, things that make him smile, things that he enjoys doing. Um, we call it special interest. Um, and so he has a couple special interests, um, one being monster trucks, monster jam specifically, he knows every single truck. He knows the driver's name. He can tell you so much about monster trucks um, and similar to animals. He's so good with animals and just like these little creatures where I can't tell if it's like a roach or a beetle. And he's like, it's a longhorn snake, something or another. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. Um, but it makes me right. So it like makes me happy. You know, when I put down, 
my expectations, right? Like, oh, I want him to talk. I want him to appear as normal. I want him to do these things. And I really just started celebrating, like he has a good quality of life. He is enjoying his life for what it is for him. It doesn't have to look like, you know, the life that I had planned or the life that I live, but it's the life that he enjoys. Um, and just really just finding, you know, I spent so much time in the beginning doing like food therapy, trying to get him to eat certain things and like all this palette of certain things. And then I really had to realize and learn from actually autistic adults. You know, one person explained to me, it's like, I don't know why you like trying so many different food options. I'm content with like these six foods that I know every time I eat them, I'll be full and they taste good and they don't upset me. Um, and so it's just a perspective switch. Um, it really made me, so my goals and wins now look a lot differently. Um, I'm excited when he dresses himself um, and he still dresses himself from his sister's dresser. Um, and so it's unicorn sweatpants and, you know, one of her tops and shoes, but he's doing it for himself and he's happy with himself. Like he stands and looks at me and he is proud that he put those clothes on. And so I am proud. Um, so I'm just I guess my biggest accomplishment now is that he's happy, he's content, he's safe, he's growing, and he's just uh, enjoying his life. And he has people who love him and celebrate him. Um, there, He's equally excited to go to school, um, be with family members. So it really is good to have a care team that's just invested in his well-being, his safety, and his happiness. Talk about what your support team looks like and if there's ever any advice you give to a recently diagnosed family of what a good support team looks like. You talked about various therapies. You obviously talked about creating rituals and, and special things to look forward to at home and amongst his familiar people. But what other therapies or things do you always suggest to people to check out if there is a new diagnosis in their family? Yeah, so I tell everyone you have to, um, it's hard to suggest there's a list of therapies, there's speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, feeding therapy, applied behavior analysis therapy, there's so many therapies out there, um, there's early interventions, there's just a lot to do, um, but I say really know your child um, and consult with a professional or consult with people who know your child. Um, for me right now, he doesn't get a lot of outside therapy, but he do, does participate in sports, which has really been helpful for him. Um, getting him out social, running around, um, listening and following directions, getting some of that energy out. In school, he gets speech therapy. He gets a little bit of physical therapy, uh, occupational therapy, and then he gets that one-on-one -on -one time. So there's so many therapies. There's a lot of ways to help and intervene, but you really have to just do what's specific for your child. It's not, you know, when I got his diagnosis, I did the same. I just wanted like a prescription, like if I do all these therapies, it will be better. And, you know, realistically, that just doesn't happen. Um, I have friends who do some therapies that work great. And for Drayden, they just do not happen. But I also had to learn and listen to him. And when he's tired or he doesn't want to do therapy, I had to respect that autonomy and give him that space to be like, no, mom, I'm done. Right. Yeah. So it's it's always this balancing act. So in the beginning, you're heavy loaded with therapy, thinking that it's going to be all the answers and everything to do. And as you grow and you really get that bond and that connection and you grow in strength and have that support, you know your child better than any professional, right? Um, and so for me, he's at this age now where consent and that autonomy is so important. Uh, and so I 
it's also important to have that care team that I know that he loves. So if he chooses or he doesn't want to go to something or he's very resistant, I know he may be tired or he just doesn't want to do it. It's not because he's not comfortable or he doesn't like the staff. Mm-hmm. Walk us through what it looked like talking with your other children about this. As you mentioned at the top of the show, for people who might be just joining us, you have a 12-year-old you and two sets of twins. So eight-year-old twins, boy and girl, and seven-year-old twins, boy and girl. And Drayden is in the seven-year-old group of twins or pair of twins, I should say. So walk us through what those early conversations with his older siblings looked like in explaining all of the unique things about their brother. Yeah. So my oldest was about seven. Um, when we really started doing everything. And he was the reason, like I said, looked for books, couldn't find them. Um, and so I really, when I started volunteering, I started bringing him with me. It was very mm-hmm. important for me, for him to be a part of the community and to see, because as long I was learning, he was learning as well. Um, with the tw- both sets of twins, they're only 11 months apart, so they don't really know anything else. Um, and there's something so beautiful about having an experience with inclusion and diversity and disability your whole life because it becomes your norm. For them, they're so inclusive and understanding because when like when they see someone with a wheelchair or um, when they see like a handicap rail, they're like, oh, so this is so people can go up. Or if they see someone, you know, kids normally either stare or, um, you know, they're confused. But for them, they ask good questions and they're they're understanding. Um, and I think that's a beautiful part of their upbringing. Um, I've had to, as they've gotten older, because Drayden does have food sensitivities and there are certain things he cannot or just doesn't eat. Um, I've had to adjust my parenting to accommodate everyone. Um, just like for an example, we have like this little miniature and it's like a dip, like a size of a dipping cup for like condiments. And we put, you know, a little piece of everything that we're having for dinner in that little cup and Drayden's responsible for, you know, at least trying it. Um, I got Mm -hmm. that tip from, you know, a girlfriend and that helps the other kids because they're required to eat their dinner. Right. And before Mm -hmm. it was like Drayden had a whole separate meal and they required to eat their dinner. And as we talked and processed things, it really became like, it's hard for them to understand at their age why he gets to eat something different. To them, they see it as like a luxury. They don't understand that it's something he just cannot handle. Um, And so it was a good compromise because it's worked well because when Drayden does try things, there's some things he tries and surprise himself that he likes. Um, But it's a visual for the kids to see at least mom and dad are trying, right? Like at least we have boundaries, at least we have rules. And as they've gotten older, they understand And they advocate on his behalf so much. Um, It's so beautiful because they stick up for him so much, but they also hold him accountable. You know, they're siblings. So they know when to give him grace and be like, you know, this is autism. This is like a, uh, you know, accommodation he needs. But they also know when to like hold him accountable. It's like, no, Drayden, you can help us clean up these toys. Um, (laughs) So I I learned a lot from them too, just watching them and um, how they maneuver and they learn from situations. But it's been a journey, um, you know, that has its good seasons and, you know, harder seasons, just like anyone else, just to be transparent. Um, you know, they're learning alongside us and it's not something that any of us picked, but it's part of our story. So we're just really learning and adapting and uh, forgiving each other and apologizing and um, just knowing that we don't have the answers. We're all just trying to do the best that we can. What's your favorite part of the book? Because I know the kids were so instrumental in helping create this unique perspective. When you look back at it, what's your favorite page, part, theme? I think my favorite part is the cover. 
um, because that was a complete surprise. When I reached out to my illustrator to do the book, um, he was like 100% on board. Like I, I found him on social media. I loved his work. As uh, soon as I reached out to him, it was no like, let me get back to you. He was like, we're doing it. Um, and so I didn't see the cover for a while. Like I saw some of the illustrations or like the graphics or what it would look like. Um, but when I when I look at it, I'm so proud because it narrates him beautifully. Red's his favorite color. So I love that he did it. And then the, uh, the illustrator, Cameron Wilson, he took the initiative to go to my social media and take pictures of my kids and animate them into the characters of the book. Oh, that's so cool. So the, yeah, the aqua shirt's my oldest. And then we have my girl twins and then my uh, Drayden's in the middle. And so it was just so beautiful to see him taking that like extra step and to see them reflected because that's a lot of why I wrote the book, right? Like that um, representation, I think it's so important for anyone to see themselves reflected back to them in a part of the narrative. Um, and so it's just really been a huge badge of honor and I'm just completely in awe. And when I see other people holding it, when I see it in classrooms, bookshelves, it really means a lot to me. And I know other families are really gonna enjoy this representation and other families are gonna be able to get a window into other people's lives. Do you find that when you talk about your family's experience, mention the book, talk anything about Drayden, that you immediately open a floodgate of of sharing and vulnerability and emotional sort of um, reactions that other people, whether or not they have that diagnosis in their family, are just so much more willing to share? Because I, I see something like this and what you're putting into the world, and I, it's so powerful because this is something that can be difficult for families to talk about their own health yeah. struggles, issues and differences that they perceive other people might not have. So I would imagine people's reaction to you is just like an opening up as soon as they see your book and hear your story. Yeah. It, um, in the beginning, I was extremely emotional, cried at the drop of a dime. But I think now I just feel so honored. Right. I think it's so sacred when people trust you with their stories, their their experiences. And I don't take that lightly, whether it's another parent, whether it's an autistic adult, whether it's a sibling, um, whether it's a caregiver or a teacher. I really don't take that lightly. And I'm just honored that they choose to share that with me. Um, and I know that there's a responsibility in that. And I think as I grown. I've become more open to talking about our experience. But now that he's getting older, I, I, I think I talk more in general, not specific to Drayden, if that makes sense. I want yeah, to give him that privacy. That. Like, Yeah. Okay. Because I do think that's an, an interesting concept, yeah. even if we share our children's lives on social media, which is something that I've talked a lot about on my platform. Like there is a level, um, there's a boundary. I think each parent has mm -hmm. to set their level of comfort. So I really respect that you're it sounds like it's a constant reevaluation of, okay, where does the boundary move to this time? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think for me, what it's become is sharing Drayden's story in the beginning. I wanted people to be like, you're not alone. Like if your child's having a meltdown, if they're crying, if they're throwing things, if they're hurting themselves, um, I wanted them to feel seen. But as he got older and as I started talking to more adult autistic adults, you know, they were saying like, this is them. We all have our worst times, our worst days. So it's never, you know, I have to be careful to make sure that I'm not putting all of Drayden's information out there because it's his story, right? And he deserves right. to tell uh, it. Yeah. 
the way he wants to and the narrative that he wants to. So he might get older and decide he wants to be an advocate for autism and talk about it. Or he might get older and decide like, hey, I have autism, but that's not like my leading factor. And that's not something I want to talk about. So in the beginning, a lot of my earlier videos and posts were a lot about like, hey, he's doing this, he's eating this, he's making this progression. Now it's more like a support um, for caregivers, right. parents, letting them know like, hey, I've seen this and just talking more generalized, not like Drayden yeah. did this today, or this was his experience, or he didn't toilet until this date. More reframing and be like, hey, don't put those type of expectations. I know what it can be like. Um, and just like you said, walking that fine line because it's their story, right? And us yes. choosing as parents to be public figures or advocates or, you know, that's the choice we make right? They didn't sign up right. for that. So as he gets older and he decides maybe he wants to release that, or maybe he wants to say that, then we can cross that bridge when he gets there. But I like to leave a lot of the story. And also too, when people follow you on social media, they have like a, you probably experience like a standard of what they think you're going to be like in person. And then oh, yeah. you don't live up to that expectation. They're like, well, she's a fake, you know, she, <laughs> she's not the real deal. And it's yeah. just like, you know, I wanted Drayden when he walks into school, when he walks into spaces in therapy for them to evaluate and understand Drayden from themselves, not based off my stance on policies, ideas, therapies. Um, I just wanted them to get Drayden. And so now, like I said, a lot of it, it's become like in general um, conversation, letting people know I'm here, giving them advice one on one, but not so much of like Drayden exists today or, you know, right. Not yeah. a chronicle of his existence. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Which, by the way, such an important thing for us all as parents to reflect on, no matter how old your kid is. Like, I'm a huge advocate of letting people tell their own stories. And this mm -hmm. is just kind of a, a little bit of a deviation, but it is a, a pet peeve of mine when I log on to certain social media channels and I see parents describe, oh, this is my crazy one. And this is my thoughtful mm -hmm. one as they're running through their kids. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Record. Yeah. For a second, like, you know, I just love hearing another parent with that similar perspective because the temptation to share our stories and our children's stories is very great because, as you said, we find points of connection through parenthood so often. But um, <clears throat> as our world continues to become more connected, I love hearing other parents say that they're constantly reevaluating that boundary because you never want to be in the position where your child grows up and feels that they have been categorized in a way or their story has been told in a way that makes them feel disenfranchised or yeah. hurt or you know I, I only can imagine the things that my mom would have posted about me and my sister growing you know what I mean like I don't even want to know so yeah. let's, let's let them tell their own stories and sort of embrace themselves on social media as they see fit. What do you want other parents or families um, who've recently gotten an autism diagnosis in their families to know? That is okay. Um, it's nothing that it's your fault. You didn't eat anything. You didn't drink anything. You didn't go to an appointment too late. There's nothing you could have done. Um, it's nothing that you have to try to cure or fix or uh, find a solution or um, finger point to see like why it happened or what you could have done differently. Um, autism is it's beautiful. It's a we need more autistic brains. Um, it's a beautiful way of looking at life. It will challenge you as a person to be better, to do better, to do more. Um, it will give people around you the opportunity to learn and to grow. Um, so I really, that's the first thing I would tell parents, like there's, this doesn't need to be fixed. It's not your fault. 
And uh, a diagnosis is not the end. It's just the beginning. You know how to navigate. You know how to help your child. Um, and it will help them. And it's a part of their identity. Um, and so just like we have people who are studious and athletic, you know, autistic is another way here that we use to describe Drayden and his brain and how he does things. So when he's lining stuff up or organizing things or, you know, maybe spinning around or like, you know, that's a part of his beautiful autistic brain. And we love that about him. Um, so I would just tell parents to find a community, find other parents that are going through the things that you're going through um, and be that support for someone else is so healing to help someone else and to give back and help people realize it's not the end. What have you seen in society at large that's made you more hopeful that we are headed toward a more embracing sort of and an accommodating world toward people with different abilities. Um, and like this opportunity, um, just speaking here today, other people asking questions. Um, and even if, you know, I think people, people are so scared to say the wrong thing. Sometimes they say nothing yeah. and saying nothing hurts more. Right. Um, and that's something that I had to learn through my personal journey, um, feeling like, why weren't people reaching out? Why weren't people asking questions? Why weren't people, you know, wanting to spend time and just through therapy and having those direct conversations once time has gone and um, wounds had had a chance to be healed is, you know, the, that was the common conversation. It's like, you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to use terminology that may be offensive. You don't want to give a bad suggestion or a wrong suggestion. But I tell people, um, doing something or saying like, let me know how I can show up for you or just, just being a part, you know, of the community. But I really say like something that's really given me hope is these open conversations. Um, the way people are receptive to the book, you know, I've had, so I own, when I put the book out there, I thought it would only be people who had autistic kids who would want the book. I've had so many neurotypical families reach out and it's like, hey, you know, we have the book, we have some questions. I had um, a, a sweet young girl who did a book report on the book, Come Meet Drayden, um, and sent it to me. So I think just these open-ended conversations where people are like, hey, I've heard this, I don't know all this, like, let's chat about it. How can I help? How can I be of service? What should I do? Um, uh, even jobs becoming more inclusive and um, wanting to hire people with disability and make accommodations. So I see so much hope. I see the aut the autistic adults themselves growing up, um, using Instagram and other platforms to really speak their mind and letting um, parents know now what maybe their parents didn't do or did do that worked or didn't work. Um, and so really having those lived life experiences has really been helpful. And I'm just excited. The autistic community that's coming up has really take reins and responsibility and is vocalizing and standing up for themselves and letting us know what they want to be called and what they want to do and uh, the importance of autonomy and just different things like that. So just between the community, these open conversations, the literature that represents um, little stories that I see on Netflix that have diverse characters. Um, I was watching Made on Netflix, uh, Netflix and um, one of the um, characters in the story, the mom um, had a child that had a disability. I think they were autistic. I know they were nonverbal. And I just thought that was beautiful. Like Maid is, Maid's, I think it's called Maid's, is one of the biggest shows right now on Netflix. And just to have that representation, um, it's not, it, just being a part of the narrative 
um, a part of the storyline. I think that there's so many families living with children with disabilities, but when we look at media, when we look at movies, shows, radio, that's not really reflected back to us. So I think there mm -hmm. really has to be that representation, like show parents with disabled children. That's a part of the narrative. Um, so just things like that, you know, watching Mazes, right. like, you know, I heard everybody raving about it, watched it, and I was like, yes, like, this is my favorite part. Like, there, there's parents with kids with disabilities, like, that is normal. Um, so, yeah, I think those things just keep me helpful and hopeful and keep going. What else comes to mind, too, I don't know if you've seen it, it's also on Netflix, is Love on the Spectrum. It's another really great show. Um and it's about autistic adults entering the dating world, some of them for the first yeah. time. And it's really, it's really compelling. And it's really like, yeah, why, why, why are we treating like them? Like it's, yeah. they're different. It's just, they want, you know, they need love. They want love. And it's a really interesting, it's kind of like a documentary style um, show. I think it's on Netflix. So it's also worth a watch, but um, Dana, you've been such a pleasure to talk to you. I would love if you could tell everybody, I know we covered this in the beginning, but if you could tell us a little bit more about where we can track you down on Instagram, where we can find the book and maybe any new projects or promotions or readings for the book that are coming up as well. Yeah, so thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Um, the book is available on um, Amazon. You can get it at Amazon. It's available here at um, Barnes and Nobles in Virginia. And if it's not at your local Barnes and Nobles, you can always request it. You can go in and request it. They will order it for you. Um, and then I am available and able to be reached. I have my email is my name, Dana Askew at gmail.com. And then my social media is Come Meet Drayden, which is the title of the book. And I'm Come Meet Drayden on Facebook and on Instagram. Dana, thank you so much for spending time with me and with all of us here who are watching live. Um, I truly, truly appreciate you sharing a little bit of your family's story and journey with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And I just challenge everyone to continue to do the work, um, diversify your children's books, the people you're around, and just be inclusive. Love it. Dana, thank you again so, so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Guys, thank you so much for watching and or listening to this episode. We got to talk. Um, I'm getting my hands on a copy of this book and we'll be reading it to my kids as well. I am so grateful when people step out of their own comfort zones or try something new in a bid to educate all of us more about everybody's unique story and path. So I'm certain that all of you were just as interested in finding more about this book. So I'm going to link in show notes, the direct Amazon link. You can just click through there. If you want to check out the book, as Dana said, her Instagram is come meet Drayden, C-O-M-E-M-E-E-T-D-R-A-Y-D-E-N. So make sure you check her out and follow her as well. If you're listening on the podcast, please leave a rating and review that really helps these uh, episodes get out to people who might find them useful or helpful. So please take a few minutes to do that. And uh, that's it. Thank you so much for listening and watching this episode of We Gotta Talk. We will see you next week with more goodness right here. Bye.